God took a hike, just left Jesus of Nazareth to carry out the rest of the mission. That God did not suffer. God did not have the thorn of crowns placed upon his head. God did not have all of the whippings that took place. God did not bleed. God did not suffer. God did not die. That was the person of Jesus of Nazareth that God had borrowed his body for three years. And interestingly enough, they do make their point biblically. Welcome to Tea with the Preacher, the message series from Fairfield Presbyterian Church in Mechanicsville, Virginia. Today is Sunday, December 18, 2022, and we continue our Advent sermon series, Views of the Incarnation. Pastor Steve reads from John's first letter, chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, before he talks about the heresies of Gnosticism. We've uh, had an interesting advent around this place in terms of the sermon series, taking upon ourselves the task of looking at different heresies that have been a part of the Christian church over, well, over 2,000 years. Some of these heresies have been, have been haunting us as we have sought to know and to understand the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we've looked at a number of them that are trying to figure out how Jesus uh, was human, but spirit-led, and others that tried to figure out how, how God could become human. And this one is kind of a generic term. Gnosticism is our heresy for this week. And it's not a specific heresy in and of itself. It is a, it's a term that covers all sorts of different variations and themes on, on ways that people have sought to, to comprehend and to understand the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. What it means to say that God lived among us in human form. Now the term Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. And it is a generic term that we use for those people who have felt that they had it all figured out. The Gnostics figured it out that they, they knew what all the sleight of hand tricks were. They, they knew what it was and how it worked that, that, that this Jesus was, you know, who he was and did the things that he did and preached the things that he did. And they, they had it all figured out. Now, the easiest way, I was told this after the nine o'clock service. So I'm throwing this in. You get this one for free. Gnostic and agnostic are two sides, same coin. The Gnostic says, I got it all figured out. The agnostic goes, I got no idea. So that's the two sides, same coin. But, but the Gnostics had always thought that they had figured out the knowledge that they needed to comprehend and to understand who Jesus was and what that means for us. Now, I want us to take a look at a passage of Scripture from the first letter that John wrote in the first chapter, the first ten verses there. Well, it's actually the whole first chapter, but I didn't want to tell you that because you think of it as longer. And John is writing... Later on in the first century, 
and is dealing with a lot of these Gnosticisms that have already arisen within the church. And he is trying to give answer to them and help them to, to see and to understand more clearly who Jesus is and what it means when we say that Jesus was fully human and fully divine. And so he sends this letter out, and he begins his letter with these words. We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed, and we have seen it and testified to it, and declared to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. May the Lord bless us a portion from his holy word. Now, as I said, Gnosticism takes a lot of different forms and a lot of different ways and a lot of different times. But my favorite one, my favorite Gnostic heresy, is one that was striving to, to figure out how their image of God could fit in with who Jesus was. You see, they had this idea in their minds that God was wholly other, that God was pure and righteous, and that God could never, ever take human form on, that that would be debasing to God. And so what they figured out, and maybe I like it the most because I hate it the most. You know, it's one of those kinds of situations because it just drives me crazy that they would think this. And what they figured out, what they came up with, was that, was that God borrowed Jesus' body. That Jesus of Nazareth was born, you know, same way everybody else is. But that at his baptism, remember his baptism by the side of the River Jordan, that at his baptism, God took over his body. Sounds like the script of a bad horror movie, doesn't it? You know, a body being taken over by another being. But that's what they believed. That, that God could not become human. But God could borrow the human body of Jesus of Nazareth. And God could use that body 
Speak through that body. Use that body. Walk with that body. Let that body do all the walking. Let that body do all the eating. And God would just tag along for the ride for that three-year period. And then when things got rough, because they did not, I mean, if God can't become human, then God certainly cannot suffer. God certainly cannot experience pain. God certainly cannot experience death. God certainly cannot go through all of those things that we know happened in Passion Week. So what they felt and what they believed was that at that point in the Garden of Gethsemane when things started to get rough, God took a hike. Just left Jesus of Nazareth to carry out the rest of the mission. That God did not suffer. God did not have the thorn of crowns placed upon his head. God did not have all of the, the uh, whippings that took place. God did not bleed. God did not suffer. God did not die. That was the person of Jesus of Nazareth that God had borrowed his body for three years. And interestingly enough, they do make it, make their point biblically. You remember that? word that Jesus spoke from the cross, the one that bothers us all so much. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? They go, see, told you. God abandoned him, left him there on the cross to die on his own. They had a hard time comprehending how the box that they had put God in would fit with the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. They tried to figure out how their, their image of God, they put God into a little box and said, this is who God is. Nothing less, nothing more. This is who God is. But this idea of God becoming flesh is the proverbial round peg in the square hole. It just won't work. And so they came up with their own knowledge, their own insight, their own intelligence to come up with this idea of how they could keep their image of God and still follow Jesus. Now, I know that we're all sitting here going, boy, I'm glad I'm not like them. I would never do that. But isn't there a part of us that does that? Isn't there a part of us that, that wants to have God fit into a nice, neat picture that we can understand, that we can comprehend, that we can wrap our minds around? And we want to have it all, all figured out. And so we, we start to create God in the image that we want God to be. Now, in the 1800s, there was this uh, movement within the scholarly world. It was the search for the historical Jesus. And there were scholars all throughout every university in Europe and in the United States and elsewhere that were struggling to figure out who was the historical Jesus. And so they would all 
write these books saying, I figured it out, I've eliminated all this, I've clarified this, and then you'd read and go, okay, well, that's their interpretation. Read another one, another one, another one. There was probably 30 or 40 of them that were uh, well-known at that time, probably another 100 that uh, nobody ever heard of. But then there came along a fellow by the name of Albert Schweitzer, a physician, theologian, uh, who uh, many of us know because of his missionary work, but he was a scholar himself. And he wrote the book, The Search for the Historical Jesus. And in that book, he came to the conclusion, and I agree with him 100%, that every single one of those writers was creating Jesus in their own image. That if they were somebody who believed in, for instance, Karl Marx and communism, that they, that they took a look at Jesus and, and said, look, this proves that Jesus was a communist. Or if they thought that, that, uh, that, that Jesus was somebody who, uh, just loved to take care of the downtrodden and the poor, and then they, then they made a picture of Jesus as kind of a social worker, just helping people out of their dire situations, whatever it may be, whatever it was that, that what they were doing was they were looking to see Jesus, but what they were doing instead was holding a mirror up in front of themselves and saying, this is the Jesus that I know. And we have that tendency to try and, and fit God into, into a box, to keep him in some form or fashion in a way that we can, that we can understand and comprehend in a way that, that we can kind of wrap our arms around the person and work of Jesus Christ. Well, the Gnostics, the lesson that we get from the Gnostics is simply this. If we think that we absolutely understand who God is, if we think that we absolutely understand the person and work of Jesus Christ, then we have shown we don't know anything at all. You see, the problem is we don't enjoy a mystery. We don't enjoy a mystery. We want to understand everything. We want to be able to wrap our minds around every little detail. We want to be able to wrap our minds around everything about who Jesus is. And the hardest thing to do is to understand the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. It's hard for us to, to understand Jesus being fully human and fully divine. Now, if you said Jesus was divine sometimes, human other times, we could live with that. That would be understandable. If we said that, that Jesus was half human and half divine, we can understand that. But we are proclaiming a mystery. The Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Fully human, fully divine. Will we ever be able to fully comprehend that? Will we ever be able to fully wrap our minds around that mystery? The answer is no. But so much of what we know to be true, we have to know by faith. 
Sometimes you just have to believe. You have to trust God at his word. I don't think any of us here are ever going to write a book explaining the Trinity in a way that everybody understands. Any volunteers to take on that task? I'm sitting on my hands. But it's a truth that we accept in its mystery. You see, we don't have to absolutely understand everything. We don't have to absolutely be able to explain everything. Sometimes we can just simply enjoy the mystery. The mystery of God becoming flesh. Of God choosing to to dwell among us. The God who chose to empty himself and take upon himself human form. A God who chose to, to, to so give up his throne that he ended up on the cross. Those are mysteries. Those are mysteries that we may never comprehend on this side of the heavenly kingdom. And that's okay. We don't have to know everything. Sometimes we just need to step out in faith and trust in what God has done for us. To trust in the word that has been given to us. To just trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. To trust that this Christmas day, coming up in a few short days, will be one that we celebrate that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-loving God, I would give you thanks for the mystery of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's beyond our comprehension. We can't understand how you did it. Sometimes we can't even begin to fathom why you would do that. But we know that we are called to live in that light, to live in that love, to walk in faith, the knowledge that your Son, Jesus Christ, has revealed to us who you are and the way we ought to go. We give you thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Tea with the Preacher. To find more information about Fairfield, visit our website at fairfieldpcusa.org. On Christmas Eve, we'll look at the birth of Jesus to truly understand incarnation. If you like what you've heard today, we invite you to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite listening app.